Well, good morning, Frontline family. Welcome to one and all watching online today. It's so good to be with you all. Church, wherever you are and whatever you're doing right now, would you just start by giving the Lord a great shout of praise? Would you thank Him for His faithfulness, His goodness, His mercy, His provision and protection over our lives? Would you just praise Him for your salvation? Would you just acknowledge this morning that He is everything we need in every season of our lives? Amen? And can we just take a moment to declare that He is the one and only true God? He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He is Jehovah Nisi, our banner. He is Jehovah Shalom, our peace. He is Jehovah Tzedkenu, our righteousness. He is Jehovah Ra'ah, our shepherd. And He is Jehovah Shammah, the present Lord in our lives. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, that He is everything we need in the season that we find ourselves in. So let's give everything of ourselves to Him in this time this morning. Amen? Come, let's pray together. Father God, we gather together today online as your church and we firstly want to say that you are God Almighty, the God that made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything that is in them. We acknowledge you as the creator, the giver, and the sustainer of all life. And we ask today that through your word, we would be transformed by your truth and become Christians that represent you in this world. Remove any false thinking from our minds and fill us with the only truth that leads to life and leads to you. Lord, would you anoint this word today in the ears of those listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, it's really good to be with you all on this Sunday morning. And today I want to speak to you about the persecuted church. We've come through Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3 over the past couple of months. And we land today on Acts chapter 4 as we see how the witnessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ brings persecution to the early church. To refresh your memory, on the day of Pentecost, we remember that there was a physical miraculous phenomenon that occurred. Tongues as a fire were over the heads of the 120 followers of Christ that had gathered in the upper room. It was something spectacular that no one had ever seen before. It was the very beginning of the church that Jesus said that he would build. He starts doing it on that day, the day of Pentecost. And on that day, they looked around the room and they could see what looked like fire on top of the heads or just above the heads of everyone in that room. And I'm sure it was a shocking and breathtaking moment. But by chapter 4, that fire has long gone. However, even though the fire that was once on their heads has gone, the fire that was in their hearts still remains. They still have burning hearts. They have hearts on fire with the Spirit of God. Right? And with burning hearts still. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John go at the hour of prayer into the temple complex. Two ordinary men on an ordinary day. But God has an extraordinary plan waiting for them. Peter and John had no idea what was about to happen. 
They just did what they ordinarily did, but God would show up extraordinarily. And church, I wonder, what would happen if you and I decided to live our lives that way? What would happen if you approached each day with that view? Where you would start your day and say, it's a new day. Yes, it's an ordinary day. I plan to get up, eat my breakfast, go to work, do my ordinary things and my ordinary duties with other ordinary people. However, because I serve an extraordinary God, what might happen today? And you see, church, when you look at life that way, you set yourself up for an adventure. Because anything's possible, right? Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. So what might that extraordinary God want to do with an extraordinary plan in an ordinary person's life like yours and mine? Just consider that for a moment. Psalm chapter 37 declares that the steps of good men and women are directed by the Lord. And He delights in each step that they take. And what if you were just to think that as you get out of bed in the morning, that the steps that I take, ordinary as they may be, are directed by the Lord? And what if you were just to think that as you get out of bed in the morning, the steps that I take, ordinary as they may be, are directed by the Lord? And that God could do something amazing and something incredible and extraordinary in my life today? And in a way, that sets us up for what we're about to read in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are about to go into the temple complex. An extraordinary thing is going to happen. A miracle has already happened and they've witnessed it. They were a part of it. A man who was paralyzed from his birth is now able to walk, leap and praise God. And I'm sure they're on an all-time high. However... Now begins another period of church history because this is the first recorded persecution of the followers of Jesus Christ post the resurrection. This great miracle of the lame man being healed invites the eyes of the world. They are looking very carefully at what happened and the religious establishment don't like it. And church, what we need to understand is that the Great Commission preaching the good news of the gospel has and always will invite great persecution. This is the beginning of that persecution for the church. And for the next 250 years or so, the church of Jesus Christ would experience some of the worst, most barbaric persecutions in its history. Most historians would point to 10 waves of persecution on the church, starting with Nero In about 67 AD, this is what happens at Jerusalem. But the Roman Empire would come against Christianity until Diocletian around 303 AD. Wave after wave after wave. Now church, when I say persecution, I don't mean that they're going to laugh at your Christian bumper sticker or how you raise your hands in church or how people are going to say you Christians are so narrow-minded. That's the type of persecution we may get, even though we know it's increasing. But for those first 250 years, they get physical persecution. They will be beaten. They will be scorched. 
they will be beheaded. They will be taken and given wax shirts and lit as living torches in the gardens of Rome at night until they die in those flames. Nero will take the skins of freshly killed animals and sew them around live men or women of faith and have wild dogs consume them alive. Now we still have persecution on the earth happening to Christians today. There's a steady and increasing stream of it. We've all heard of news reports over the last decade or so with ISIS and other extreme Islamic groups that are beheading, crucifying, and doing some of the same things that the Romans did to Christians in the first 250 years. But right now in our culture, we don't see that kind of persecution. We see a persecution more of the ego or of our religious freedoms. Our egos get persecuted. Our freedoms are being challenged. We get criticized. We get sidelined. And because this is happening, we run the risk of thinking that people won't like me if I stand up for Christ. Or I may lose my job. I may lose my status. I may lose my, my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Or even worse, I may lose my, my husband or my wife if I stand up for, for Jesus Christ. It's still persecution. It's still legitimate persecution. But our persecution in Western society, I think you will agree with me, pales in comparison with the kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters are seeing in the Middle East, parts of North Africa and parts of Asia, and what was seen in the early church. And as we pick up the scripture in verse 1 of chapter 4, we'll start to see how Peter and John deal with the first persecution on the church. Let's read together. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. The first thing I want to point out here from this passage of Scripture is that the gospel is always going to create a disturbance. It's always going to make a disturbance. The gospel always does that. It greatly disturbs people. The Bible tells us that it will and that it will bring persecution. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Very interesting passage of Scripture because it's not ambiguous. It says all. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In other words, church, if you're not suffering any persecution for your faith, I guess it must mean that you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible promises everyone who does will. The gospel always disturbs people. Because it always disturbs the status quo. When you open your mouth and proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ alone, you've been very conclusive. And in a way, you are being very separatist. You're coming against the thinking that says all people are good. 
And all people are going to find their way. And there are many ways to God. Right? You're coming against that. And you're saying, I'm not only going to disagree with that. I'm going to, in a loving spirit, show you that all those ways in God's book are closed down to one single way and one single Savior. And His name is Jesus. It's faith in Christ alone. And church, that's going to greatly disturb people. Right? It's going to upset them. Now the words greatly disturbed here in the passage of Scripture is the Greek word diaponeomai. Diaponeomai. Which means to be disturbed. It means to be irked. It means to be troubled and greatly annoyed. And you see, these religious leaders were mad about the fact that they taught people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And what's important to note here is that the Sadducees become the foremost enemy of the early church in the book of Acts. The Pharisees still don't like them. But the Sadducees take the lead, so to speak, in being highly offended by the teaching of the resurrected Christ. Because I don't know if you know this about the Sadducees, but they didn't believe in the spirit world. They completely rejected the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in heaven or hell. And they especially didn't believe in the resurrection. To their way of thinking, their souls died with their bodies. So you can understand why they were so against men preaching in a resurrected Savior. They're very religious people, but they don't see any hope in life after death. And I guess that's why they were so sad, you see. <laughs> I couldn't resist that one, church. <laughs> so it says they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of, of the men came to be about 5,000. This is a really significant verse for us. Because in reality, as Christians, this is what we live for. You know, church, I understand that whenever I share God's truth in His Word, even to our church, that not everybody in attendance is going to agree with the Scriptures. I understand that. I also understand that when I share God's truth to an unbelieving world, that many will be turned off by it. And a lot will say, listen, I don't believe in that stuff. I hate that stuff. How can you be so narrow-minded? And they will be greatly disturbed. But I also know that not everybody will. Because some will hear and some will believe. And that's what should keep me going and what should keep you going when you witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Those some that will believe. Those some. Jesus talked about the seed that was sown in Matthew chapter 13. And he tells his disciples that the enemy will immediately come and rob the seed that was sown by the wayside of those that fall into unbelief. Other seed only lasts temporarily because it dries up whenever there's a, a hard time or persecution. Other seed, other people grow for a while. But the cares of this world and the longing for money will eventually choke them out. But then Jesus said, there's a soil that is good. 
there's a heart that is good. And the seed of the word of God that is sown in some people's heart will take root. And it will produce fruit. You see, a good root always produces good fruit. And the fruit is some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. So the scripture said that some believed, and in this case, the number was 5,000. And watch this, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? By what name have you done this? Now this is a loaded question. Because in their scripture, in the Old Testament, when anybody comes in and does something notable like a miracle, a sign or a wonder, the leaders were commanded to ask that person by what name they did this. And if that person in any way was leading them away from the name of God and from worshipping the true God, that person was declared a false prophet. And that person was taken out. It's a nice way of saying that they were stoned, they were killed, they were executed. So these people, they're waiting for the answer. By what power or by what name have you done this? You see, they're ready to take them out. They probably got stones in, on, in their hands, ready to throw them at Peter and John. Right? It's a very volatile situation. And you know what's ironic here, church? Peter and John are standing before the very same group that Jesus stood before when he was tried before the Jewish Sanhedrin. Ironic because, remember, Peter was outside of the temple, warming himself in the courtyard at a fire, denying Christ to a servant girl. Now Peter is inside, on fire, being bold, not timid, not denying, but being declarative of his Lord and Savior. It's a different man altogether because it's Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, having seen the resurrected Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit, is going to get up all in their faces with what he believes. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. It really sounds like he's ready to take them on here, right? And he is. Because remember, church, Jesus made Peter and the other disciples a promise. He said to them in Luke chapter 12, When they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So Peter is ready because the Holy Spirit is filling him and now he just pours forth. Verse 9, If we this day are judged for a good deed, done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead by him this man stands before you whole talk about bold and Peter does something interesting here 
he turns the tables of accusation back on them. And he shows them the absurdity of this whole mock trial. And what he's basically saying to them is, we are being accused of doing something good to a lame person? Really? Here's a guy who couldn't walk and now he can. He was a fixture in the temple for 40 years. He begged arms. And now he can get on with his life. And we're on trial for that? You are accusing us about that? And so he turns the tables. And he says to them, Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you whole. And you know, church, when you think about this, it's at this point when they have this miracle of the lame man, the lame healed man, or let's try that again, when they have this miracle of the, the healed lame man standing in front of them, that you would immediately think they would believe in Jesus. Right? So that's what they should do. That seems like the simple answer. At this point, the lame person is now completely healed. The evidence is there. That should shake these guys to the core. It's time to repent and turn to the one and only true God. But church, it's amazing how deep unbelief will go. It's like the time when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It says, Some believed, having seen Lazarus raised from the dead. But others went and told the chief priest. And the chief priest conferred together and said, What shall we do? Because they all knew Lazarus had risen from the dead. Interesting question that, right? What shall we do? I have an answer to that. Believe in Jesus. That sounds like the simple answer to you and me. But as I said, it's amazing how deep unbelief will go. I mean, church, have you ever heard people say things like, if I could only see a miracle, then I would believe. And when I hear that, I immediately think, no, you won't. No, no, no. You know, if God would just turn my life around, if He would do something miraculous in my business or in my, in my marriage or in this situation, then I'll believe in Him. No, you won't. Jesus tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. They both die. One is taken to Abraham's bosom. That's Lazarus, a different Lazarus than the friend of Jesus in John chapter 11. And then a rich man who's taken to suffer in Hades. And the rich man said to Abraham, Send this man Lazarus to my five brothers in my father's house, lest they come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they have the testimony of Scripture. That's enough. But immediately the rich man says, No. If somebody rises from the dead, then they will believe. But Abraham said, No, they won't. If they won't listen to the testimony of Scripture, they will not believe, even though someone rises from the dead. And that can be proven. A different Lazarus rose from the dead and a whole group of people in Jerusalem refused to believe the evidence. Here's the lame man in Acts chapter 4. A miracle has happened and in the same way a whole group of people refused to believe. But you know what? They're sitting with a problem here. 
because this lame man in verse 10 stands before them whole and they cannot argue with that. And church, here's a great principle for us to understand. The greatest argument of the power of Jesus Christ is a changed life. The greatest argument, or let's say the greatest advertisement that God could ever take out is to have a life changed by the gospel. The greatest billboard God could ever have is a transformed life. And you know, in your Christian journey, people are going to say to you, Christian, I can argue you in circles. Right? I'm much more intellectual than, than you are. I can argue you Christian out, out of the door. But you know what, church? You can't argue with, I once was blind and now I see. I once was lame and now I walk. Come on. Well, this is who I was before I met Jesus Christ. I was dead spiritually. But this is what I believe now and, and who I am now. And as people who knew you before, now watch you in a renewed, changed life, it will make an impact on them. The greatest argument for the validity and the authenticity of the gospel is a changed human life. And this morning, if you believe that and you are a recipient of that, you can shout Amen. Amen? Peter continues, verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. He's quoting Psalm 118. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Now, when you look at the word boldness in the Greek language, you get the word parousia. And parousia is really an amazing word because it means so much more than what we may think. Parousia means outspokenness. It means to speak with frankness, with candidness, and to speak with cheerful courage. And it is the opposite of cowardice, timidity, or fear. In this passage of Scripture, it implies a divine enablement that comes to ordinary and unprofessional people exhibiting spiritual power and authority. It also refers to a clear presentation of the gospel without being ambiguous or unintelligible. Importantly, parousia is not a human quality, but a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would say we all need to pray for parousia when we witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Talk about evidence, right? But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? There it is again. What shall we do? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through the men is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. 
So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Church, there's something powerful about the name of Jesus Christ, isn't there? Something that Satan fears and something that the world hates. It brings up all kinds of emotions and not always good ones. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the next time you're in a room with a group of people at work with relatives, with unbelievers, and you're just talking about normal stuff, just drop in that conversation the name Jesus Christ. Not as others drop the name of Jesus Christ as an expletive, but in a friendly manner, in a loving manner. Drop the name of Jesus and just watch, watch the reaction. You'll see in the very least, heads will turn. Like who's getting religious around here? Right? They get uncomfortable with that. I mean, if you talk about your faith or your church or how often you pray, they're okay with that. But if you talk about Jesus Christ, the person whom I love and with whom I have a relationship, they get really weird really quick. Because you see, church, there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. And it will always make a disturbance. And it will always cause people to react, whether positively or, or negatively. Right? There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. So verse 18 tells us that a law has now been passed by the religious establishment making personal evangelism illegal. But in verse 19, they say something unexpected. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The Sadducees and other religious leaders did not expect to hear that. It's not the answer that they were banking on. They were banking on, yes, sir, we'll do whatever you said, sir. But you see, church, Peter and John are now appealing to a higher court, to their Supreme Court. Not the Supreme Court of the nation, an even higher court. Not the Supreme Court of Judaism or the Supreme Court of the Sanhedrin, but a higher court. They're appealing to God, the courts of heaven, the, the throne room of heaven. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you decide. You be the judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And church, what was the moral issue here for the apostles? The issue was what is right. That was the issue with them, right? We're going to do what is right. Not what is safe, not what is popular, not what is easy, but what is right. And what is right in this case is not to do what you say we should do. What is right is what God says we should do. Now church, if there was a way for Peter and John to obey both their authorities on earth and God, their authority in heaven, they would have done that. Because they said that. They wrote about that, right? Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, For the Lord's sake, submit all to human authority, whether the king as head of the state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has sent them. The apostle Paul says pretty much the same thing. Submit yourself to every authority. 
pay your taxes to avoid punishment and having a clear conscience, right? If there is a way to obey human government, human institutions, and God, as Christians, we do both. But if one collides with the other, you have to appeal to the Supreme Court, the court of heaven. Because as Christians, we must obey God rather than men. You know, church, there's a great story about one of the, the early church fathers called Athanasius. He was also known as Athanasius the Great or Athanasius Contramundum. And he was alive around the 4th century AD. And at that time in church history, there was a major dispute over the, over the so-called Arian or Arius heresy, which demoted Jesus to being a simply created being. And they said there was a time that he didn't exist. They said that he wasn't God and the second person of the Trinity. And Athanasius stood against that, right? And at some point, I don't know if it was one of Athanasius' friends, but at some point somebody said to him, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. And Athanasius said, well, if the whole world is against me, then Athanasius will be against the whole world. And he stood contramundum against the world, as does Peter and John here. We cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak about this God-man whose name is Jesus. And when they had said this, verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Church, as I close this morning, and as we consider the response from Peter and John when persecution came, it is so important for us to be purposeful in developing our walk of faith so that we can be ready for whatever persecution might come, whatever type of persecution may come. And as I said earlier, the type of persecution we face these days is more of an attack on our egos and on our religious freedoms. The very core of our faith, I would say, is also under attack by the spirit of fear that is so rampant. Because what is the opposite of faith? It is fear, right? And you and I are aware, church, that more and more in society today, Christian values are being frowned upon. And it's going to become increasingly difficult to stay true to those values because what we stand for and what we say, if we say it, will create a disturbance. And people don't like that. And those same people are getting laws passed that sideline Christians more and more. And church, I'm not saying what I'm saying to you today to make you afraid. I'm saying this to you today to prepare you. Our faith has to be at a place where no matter what persecution comes, we are ready to stand contramundum to those opposing Jesus Christ. And having said that, we're only going to face persecution if we go out and witness and if our lives are evidently changed and transformed by the gospel. If you and I don't share our faith and our changed lives with others, and if 
We don't, for instance, challenge the filth that is making its way into our schools and other parts of society. If we just stay cooped up on our own and try to preserve our own lives, then we don't have to worry. Persecution is going to stay very far away from you. But as much as we try and turn a blind eye and steer clear from this part of our Christian walk, the Bible says, whoever desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And we don't have time to go further into this today, church. But I want to leave you with a challenge this morning. If you're not facing any persecution for your faith currently, it doesn't mean that you need to now go out and become a missionary, right? Unless the Lord is leading you to do that. It means simply that you need to start. You need to start sharing your faith. You need to start, start telling other people about this Jesus that so radically transformed your life. You need to start sharing your testimony, right? And secondly, to ask the Holy Spirit where you can make a difference in society and stand for truth and justice. The truth and justice in the Bible. Even if that means you're going to stand contramundum to the rest of the world. And church, pray this week in your quiet time. Pray for the parousia. Pray for this boldness, the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do the works that Jesus did and even greater works than these as you witness to his gospel. And I want to say to you, find comfort. Find comfort in the fact that not everyone is going to love, receive, and believe what you say. But some will. Some of them will. But our responsibility, your responsibility and mine, is to go out and to be that witness, to share the gospel, to speak about this amazing Lord and Savior that has changed our lives. I want to leave you with that challenge this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask that as we comprehend this truth, that our lives will start to represent the fullness of what Scripture requires of a Christian. Your word says that all who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. And Lord, we ask today that you would come into our lives and give us the parousia, the boldness to witness to your gospel, the gospel that radically transforms lives. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel and of proclaiming your name. And may we stand contramundum to the world's attempts to silence the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we cannot do this without you. So we ask that you would do a supernatural work in us so that we would boldly proclaim your name in every strata of society and in so doing, impact cities and nations. We ask this in your wonderful name. Amen and amen. Well, Frontline family, thank you for joining us online today. We look forward to connecting again with you soon and seeing you soon in person. Have a blessed Sunday further and be a blessing to someone else this week as you share your testimony and you speak about the Savior of this world. God bless you all.